Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 384 on Tuesday, the 2nd of March, 2021. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where the head of Formula E fireworks has been asked to tone it down a tad for the next race, we'll be discussing how your car may need to change its favourite tipple from September. We also run through a list that isn't our list of the week, and we celebrate the glory of Italian wedges. And we go straight into new news. And some good news. Yay. Good news in manufacturing, even. Double yay. Uh, And this is the news that Ford has taken back ownership of a Merseyside plant that they gave up a 50% stake in a while ago when it was when they left the whole Jaguar Land Rover part of the business and they'd, they'd passed all that on. Um, but uh, this is to do with the transmission plant. By doing this, they are saving uh, 600 jobs in the Halewood area, which is, which is great to see. Um, and now I don't know exactly whether this is because of a well, I don't think it would matter, rule of origin, but I presume they just want more control, less reliant on a supplier in this instance. Yes, yeah, I'm not sure it's to do with rules of origin, given that it Ford would be don't anyway, actually construct it? cars in the cars in the UK, so it's UK stuff going out and then back in again, so it wouldn't make any difference, really. Yeah. It is what is traditionally Geneva week, and traditionally the thing that happens on the day before the Geneva show press day is the announcement of the european car of the year and this year the european car of the year competition came down to seven cars amongst them the land rover defender the skoda octavia the volkswagen id3 the cupra formento Sorry, you have to say it like that. It's it's contractual. Uh, the Fiat 500 and the the winner by a smallish margin, but a margin nonetheless. Uh, the new Toyota Yaris. Congratulations to Toyota, and that was the well Fiat 500 electric as well. It just says Fiat 500 in this motoring You're research reading article. Through, I think it is the electric 500, which is why it's in there again because that that car's been out for seems like many decades now. <laughs> yes. Since the 1930s, indeed. Uh, yes, from the electric Fiat 500, quite right. Yes, what was interesting in this this article is is that Richard Orcott goes through the different uh, goes through the, where the different countries voted. So in Germany, the ID3 and the 500 tied on points. Uh, Spain voted for the Cupra Fomento. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> The uh, but just as oh yeah, France favoured the Yaris because of course it's built at Valenciennes in the north of the country. I thought that was the weakest argument though because the Citroen is in that top seven list. Well, exactly. Well, maybe it just depends how desperate they were for that. Yeah, that's a very weak argument. You would have thought that they would have voted for the Citroen. Plus, I I read this article in in with Eurovision music in the background and in the voice of Graham Norton when he was going through who was giving points to who. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like that because, I mean, let's not pretend that the UK is completely innocent in this. Uh, says here, British journalists voted overwhelmingly for the Land Rover Defender. Goodness, what a surprise. <laughs> Just a shame there wasn't a Lotus in there. <laughs> yes. God. Yeah, but you never get a special edition out for long enough to qualify. <laughs> True, yes. Which one are we doing? Oh, we've got another one. Oh, hang on. We've got another one. No, 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 I've only just read the press release on this one. 
<laughs> I've got a different one from the one you had last week, but there's only three weeks between us. Yes, it is. It's it's automotive Eurovision, really, the 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 Ecoti, but it's it's with a little bit more substance than most Eurovision songs, I think. Yeah. There is in the show notes going to be a link to an autocar article, though, where it discusses, and this is the title of it, every car of the year winner and how they prospered. Mm. Now, we're not going to run through this because there's 60 slides, but here you go. (laughs) Here's a a little bit of uh, additional reading for you. But it, it's it's good fun nonetheless, though, to tie the two. Well, in. the year I was born, it was the Porsche 928, I believe, which is the still the only sports car to have won. I think so. All oh, right, okay. I I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure they had cars when I was born. So no, well that's true. Before you say anything, barely building chariots back then. Talking of going back in time, though, Alan, uh, I'm going to take us to the news that from September this year. E10 petrol, that is the apparently eco-friendly ethanol, depending on where it is sourced, uh, will be put in the stations in, in station four courts in the UK. The government has confirmed. So they feel, or they reckon, that there is going to be something in the region of seven hundred thousand vehicles that might be affected by the slightly harsher way that the fuel can interact with some parts on older cars so let's be really really clear about this to begin with the 10 percent bioethanol in the fuel will not have a significant effect for the vast majority of modern cars your cars will just go oh that fuel tastes a bit different and will adjust its ECU accordingly to just adapt to it. So for the vast majority of people, not a big deal. This has been on sale uh, across mainland Europe for many, many years. This isn't a new initiative. It's been in the US for even longer. Where it's an issue, or it may be an issue, is for older cars with certain types of rubber gasket in fuel pumps and, and that kind of thing. And also cars which are laid up for quite a lot of the time. The reason for that is when they're laid up, especially if they're carburetted cars, then it can gel in the bottom of the carburetor or in very early fuel injection. It's less of an issue, to be perfectly honest, but it can gel a little bit in the uh, uh, in the injectors. And the other problem is that it's a more aggressive on rubber parts, so it can perish O-rings and seals more quickly than either 100% dino juice petrol or E5, so 95% dino juice, 5% bioethanol. That's really what the issue is. It's not massive. You can get it fixed. It's not a huge problem. It's worth looking at if you're using a classic daily, but the challenge is you're going to have one of two problems. Either you don't use it that much, so it gels a bit if in a carb, or you're using it all the time, so it's being a bit more aggressive on some of the some of the parts of your your fuel system. Uh, if you want to find out if your car is affected, there will be again in the show notes a link directly to the government or the gov.uk site that lets you run through the check to see uh, if if your vehicle is uh, needs to be thought about in any way. The vast majority of cars on the road won't, uh, and of course, if no. you've done stuff like replaced a fuel pump 
or replaced fuel hoses, that kind of stuff. It will be ethanol-friendly stuff you've done it with, because that's really all that's available. So remember, it gives you the standard, as standard would it. Yeah, original parts mm-hmm. type stuff. There will also be a link in the show notes to an article about this on Not Too Grand, which was written by Jake Belder, um, which just helps sort of flesh out and explain a bit more um, what the potential problems are and all the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, and how you can get around it. So uh, giving you plenty of information there to, so you can just double check that your car is not affected. Yeah, but vast majority of people won't be. The Saab isn't. The Saab won't be because Saab, because again, it's been around for a long, long time in Scandinavia. I remember Saab did, uh, Saab gave pure E85, well, E85 running running models as well, didn't they? They had a, it was switchable. Hmm. Mercedes is, that's the only one of mine. So even my 20-odd, yeah. You know, fifty-one plate Johnny the Yaris wouldn't be, yeah, you know, wouldn't be affected. So it's, it's going to be going back quite a bit. Anyway, speaking of Scandinavia and mm-hmm. a little bit China, uh, Volvo, Volvo and <laughs> Geely. It was planned. Whilst Volvo is majority owned by Geely, well, they're both owned by the same holding group. There was yeah. a plan to merge them, uh, and they've decided actually they're not going to merge them. Uh, instead, but what they'll do is they'll strengthen technical links, or as one of the one of the American new- newspapers described it, they're not getting married; they're just going to be friends with benefits. They they reckon that that, that this sourcing and manufacturing partnership will mean that they can they can sort of focus on what they're good at whilst uh, while still getting all of the sort of benefits of scale. Really, yeah. Mm. It's still, as it is, they share platforms and engines and tech and assembly lines yeah i wonder if this was a a a culture clash or whether it's a finance thing or whether it's a combination of many things maybe it's just not necessary to to join in the first place seemed odd because they didn't have to have the hassle of you know when you when you put two large companies together there is there is a lot of work that has to go in on a lot of expense Mm. and then there's trying to be an integration of cultures uh, particularly Asia and European or Scandinavian, you know, even slightly different from a lot of European. So doing what they're doing now seems like the sensible thing or sort of feels like it was always well, the sensible thing. It feels thing. like it's working. And I think the, there's obviously a sort of, well, do we really need to go any further than this if it seems to be working? Yeah, because over, like you say, overall there's there is one company controlling mm. both. So, so, so it's not you know the the benefit is still there. It's not like they're from outside organisations. They're all still connected. Exactly. It's not like the alliance, for example, where you've got three disparate yeah. organisations, companies, and and shareholder sets. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, let's yes. all partnership. Let's all partnership. We hate them. They're trying to buy too much of us, and all this kind of thing can't yes. really happen. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's a different. It's it's. I think it's different from a lot of car partnershiping setups, manufacturer partnershiping setups. Yeah. Other news about Volvo, as well as the fact that they've launched essentially an X4 competitor, is that they are the next in line to rule out the headline of car brand to go fully electric by just before the fully electric deadline. So Volvo, <laughs> so they will be going fully electric by twenty thirty. Uh, and they will be shifting all the EV sales online. So by 2030, they you won't be able to go out and buy a... Uh, 
at the moment, by 2030, it's implied that you won't be able to go out and go into a showroom and buy an electric Volvo in a showroom. That might change. That might decide that actually maybe the dealerships are prepared and ready and have rolled out all the appropriate training to give the appropriate advice to people in person. But obviously, to begin with, they, they, they don't feel that that's, that's the case. Yeah, I wonder how, how much advance notice the dealerships got of that news that in nine years' time, a large portion of their reason for being is going to disappear from if they've not seen <laughs> as that, far as Volvo seen it coming for a while. But there's also the competition to consider where people who buy an American brand beginning with T don't go to dealers and that's what they're used to and if you're trying to get mm-hmm. oh it was amazing we ordered it online and then and, and and then the magic robots in the tents magically delivered it to us and all that kind of stuff and people see that as a very good purchasing experience you can see why if you're trying to take market share from a company like that you want to emphasize the good parts of that experience without the bad parts like cars fall to bits so you want to emphasize that the good parts and the ability to purchase online is is one of the, the things that the tech bros who who buy that brand really like yeah i think we can add into that that volvo seem to be one of the few companies that look like from this distance they've made or they've got subscription to sort of work mm, yeah as well so that adds furthermore to the you don't need to go to a dealer to get that type you know, if you're used to doing subscriptions, mm. why would I want to go to a dealer anyway? Because I'm I'm just ordering off a, a menu online. Yeah. And then uh, I, I think secondly, on top of that, the last 12 months has shown everyone that you can buy a car online and it is not a disaster. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, agreed, totally. So that's going to be interesting to see anyway. Yeah. Right, I am going to take us to an article on motoring research where they tell us which are the roads you're most likely to be caught speeding. Now, this is following a freedom of information request, and not all police authorities responded to this freedom of information request. It's quite a weird one, which came first. A 5.2-mile stretch of road called the A282 (laughs) is... The worst offence in 2020, with 26,920 offences being reported by Kent Police. So that stretch is really the Dartford crossing. So it's the Tutu Bridge and going one direction, going southbound. And it's the Dartford Tunnels coming northbound again. That's what that is. And it's got a normally got a 40 mile an hour speed limit on it right after the certainly if you're going south, a stretch of the M25 on which you can quite often go at 70 miles an hour. It doesn't surprise <laughs> me, really, that that's, that's, that's a hot spot. Also, the sheer volume of traffic using that stretch of road makes me wonder, I'm, so I'm curious what the percentages of, of you know, how many vehicles cr- used that piece of road compared to, to how many drivers were, were caught. Because whilst you, yeah, lots of people were caught speeding there, it might, be quite a low chance of you actually being caught speeding there because there's so many cars i think that made sense there'll be no surprise uh on some of the other ones the m25 generally 
was was close-ish. It was four thousand less, or four and a half thousand less than that little section. I, and that's the, well, that's the Surrey section. So that bit is average speed, I believe. Okay. Um, further down, we've got the M5. So that's when everybody dashed to the southwest this summer mm-hmm. uh, in there ridiculously quickly. Um, some bits of the M5, I'm surprised anyone could speed, actually. <laughs> Although there are, in, in the Bristol area, there is, again, speed-controlled mm. variable speed limits. So that may be there. A nice local one for me, Egbeth Road in Merseyside. Fourteen, Nearly 14,500 offences on that road. That's the end of the M... 62 going into Liverpool, which runs for quite a way, and it's like a dual carriageway in 30 and 40 mile an hour. Oh, yeah, that's going to be So people would be silly along there. You can click through on the uh, on the show notes and have a little look. And there's also the least amount <laughs> is, is noted by Gavin at the bottom of the article. Yeah, you've got to either be in Wales or central London. Yeah. Um, Bishop's Gate and Victoria Embankment being particularly low speed. Oh, the last time I drove along Victoria Embankment, it took me forty minutes to travel an hour, to travel a mile. But that was a while ago. <laughs> right, take us. You know, whilst whilst you're not in Geneva, yeah, and not preparing for Geneva, yeah. Tell tell us about how later in the year we can all get together with lots of other people in a very in a in a space and look at cars. Well, it's going to be a much bigger space than the Geneva show. Uh, it's British Motor Show is expected to take place in August, and it won't be at the NEC. It won't be at Excel in London, where it was held the last time in two thousand and eight, organised by the SMMT. Uh, it will be at the Farnborough International Exhibition and Conference Centre. Uh, so it's going to be more of a an active motor show, part indoors, I guess, given that they've got uh, an exhibition centre, and outdoors as well. well it, it, uh, Andy Entwistle, the CEO mm. of Automotion, the events company in charge of this, said, this is going to be something unlike any other motor show you've seen. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the the chances are that there will be they were saying that there'll be a live area with be two mile track for test drives, uh lots of stuff there. A live arena, live stage, a supercar paddock, if you want to go see wrapped supercars. And and stuff like that. So sounds a lot like Top Gear Live. <laughs> it does that part of that part of the Autosport show. Yeah, that's what crossed my mind yeah. as well. So it's a cross between Autosport and and Goodwood is mm-hmm. is how I sort of understand, but, uh, but bigger and flatter. I do, I do like that they're trying to include uh, an automotive careers expo in that as well. Yes, I do quite like that. Uh, that that brings another dimension to it. Four day ticket, by the way. So I'll be running for four days. A four day ticket be twenty three pounds, eighteen pounds fifty for a single day, thirty seven pounds for a family of four. Uh, and if you do want to make a thing of it, then uh, 23 quid for the, the four days. Uh, you can also get, obviously, there'll be VIP tickets and all sorts of stuff available as well. But for, for plebs, then then that's what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It sounds interesting. I want it to be a success. Yes. I, I want it to happen first. Agreed. I want it to be a success second. 
but it does sound in sound very very interesting the dates are can't remember if we actually said august the 19th to august the 22nd it's just off the m3 which was one of those top 10 <laughs> roads yes. on which you can get done for speeding so do be careful <laughs> yes <laughs> that takes us to roughly the middle issue of the show uh which of course means it's guilt minute that quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running if you feel that the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month then you can become a patron the different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you including being able to watch the show recorded live uh, we have a small range of merchandise available from our website and teespring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts if you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand then you can help us by subscribing for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you if you've done all of that and some of you do so thanks as always uh then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues thank you if formula e alan it started it has hasn't it got off with a bang yes yes uh so the first of the two night races at Diria near Riyadh took place on friday and saturday which kind of threw me to be perfectly honest <laughs> friday's race was absolute was dominated by mercedes and nick devries came in and that was his first formula e win mm. and it was there was lots of exciting racing and all the stuff we expect to see from formula e the fewer crashes than they used to be Good. but it was close and there were some awesome overtaking maneuvers yeah i believe there was by um one of the mercedes yes, wasn't there? i can't remember who it was but it was a real ooh moment but got right through safely nobody got touched so that that's safe yeah uh there went for the gap i believe is the technical well there wasn't that much of a gap <laughs> yes there wasn't that much of a gap so so that was friday and that was that was good it was it was a good start to the season and then saturday saturday was a bit more i don't know maybe everybody was being careful on the friday and then saturday was a little bit more more people got a bit messy yeah it was more people got clipped there were lots there are more um splatties in the wall and and, and yellow flags it seemed to sort of carry on from quali though there was yeah was it saturday's quali where people had messed up leaving it too late so then when there was a yellow flag they got penalized i believe so it wasn't friday so, stuff like so that. yeah i, I can't yeah, so it sort of seemed to get in a bit of a and then there was accidents as well and people furiously trying to rebuild cars yeah well there was one point where the two ds drivers just about took each other off which was just stupid i hope somebody i hope they got a really awful uh because they have had another meeting to discuss to another another clear the or clear the air meeting apparently. there would need to be because it was just ridiculous but then the the race ended early when uh alex lynn uh of mahindra had a, a really bad smash uh and he ended yes. up hospitalized i think from memory that's the first time that's had to happen to a formula e driver that i can think of there was one of the uh somebody else this weekend had to get was the hospitalized but then they were released uh i th i thought that was alex i Lynn, can't actually. remember if that I was friday okay. so anyway 
that it stopped early then and uh sandbird won on the saturday for jaguar which was cool and that was his first race for jaguar uh so well no it was his second race pardon me it's the first weekend outing for for, for him at jaguar yeah the on the other hand so the racing was good the night race was okay i would have liked the cars to be a bit more tron like i'm sorry i i, I do feel that they they sort of undersell the evness of it it was fine because you got to see the cars looked great. You got nice contrast against the track and you didn't really have to look at the sort of buffy beige surrounding that track, which is not very interesting. <laughs> I've talked about that before. Saudi Arabia during yes. the day. So urban Saudi Arabia during the day is not exactly an architectural wonder. But I, I don't know. I worry that I'm falling out of love with Formula E. And it's not because of the race. It's not because of the technology. It's not because the cars are electric or any of that kind of stuff. But I just feel that there's a lot of, I don't know, maybe the fact that there was an attempted missile strike on the race sort of really brought home to me the amount of sport washing that is going on with the Arabian Peninsula. And, yes. and I just, I just, and it, it just, I don't know, that was just that bit too far for me. I feel a lot of people were in quite a lot of danger. I know it didn't, but it could have done. And then how the heck... Yeah, you, only because the system was there to stop yeah, it. And how the heck you would have dealt with that had had that happened, I don't know. Yeah, because it's it, obviously all motorsport is yeah, hurt, motor- has been hurt hard, as, as, as has every I, part of society I, I across the world. Now, so they, they have had to make a commercial decision. Can, get can I just point out, if it sounds like I'm... So when I was small, we spent a lot of time in Saudi Arabia. Okay, my father worked for a Saudi Arabian bank. I spent a lot of time on both uh, Red Sea coast and the Gulf Coast. I, I tend to be, my threshold is higher than most. I have happy memories uh, of times time mm-hmm. spent in, in the Middle East. But I don't know. I feel that this was one too close. I think it was, I'm so glad nobody was hurt. Mm-hmm. I hate to think what would have happened if they had been. And I hope that that will raise some questions in other motorsport as well as in Formula E and people saying that was a bit close for comfort. Just generally, because you don't, you don't, you don't take people, hundreds of people. Some of there's a, there's a lot of argument to say that to question whether they should have been there at all anyway because of political. Well, yeah, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's always the case, but but you know, it's where a and lot the, of money and that's from. connected to it, and that is connected to it. It is. It is. But, and uh, I think I would I would imagine there is a lot of conversations going on at FIA level, uh, and the and the head of various motorsports that are expected to be in that region. Mm in the coming year going really chaps do we I think no the FIA has very big shiny offices on the Place de la Concorde to keep up the well you know well known ethical organization i mean there's but yeah, yeah. fifa yeah. and any of these are the same so that's not i mean yes when you get to global sport then things like that do get but brushed I, aside i think that people were very lucky this weekend i know it's not really yes. lucky it's good engineering and all these kind of other things which i 
shout from the rooftops about, but yeah, that just nipped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Anyway, mm-hmm. enough of the politics, but I felt it yeah. was something that needed to be said generally. Yes. Yes. It's adding to the... Like I'm similar to you. I'm not saying... I, it's not the racing or anything, but there's just general unease feeling, uneasy feeling about the competition. And I can't exactly put my finger on it. No, but the spidey sense is jangling it's a bit. Just not, it's just not sitting and feeling right at the moment. Yeah. And it's not the drivers and it's not what's happening on the racetrack necessarily. No, it's it's not it's, it's not even it. the teams. Anything like that. It's just a, something about the organisation now, which just I didn't used to feel. Yep. Right, I'm going to take us to uh, rallying now. And it's the sad news that uh, Hanu Mikola has unfortunately died at the age of 78 uh, after a battle with cancer. Uh, he was, of course, the 1983 World Rally Champion, uh, winning the first uh, WRC World event uh, or competition for a four-wheel drive in the Audi Quattro. Uh, so he's won 18 World Rallies uh, overall with various manufacturers, um, but has a record of winning uh, seven, along with uh, Marcus Gronholm, of the home his home event of Rally Finland, the Thousand Lakes, which is an amazing feat. Uh, and he stuck with Audi throughout the whole Group B lunacy <laughs> Era. <laughs> it really it was, was amazing and terrifying all at once. You know, depending on which side you were, you were on that very fine line. But uh, yeah, it's such such a shame that uh, he's gone uh, at the age of seventy eight, uh, and obviously thoughts with his family and friends. But uh, there was actually the WRC Arctic Rally this weekend or last weekend, and uh, Tanik completed his first ever, which I didn't realise, start-to-finish mm-hmm. win and was dominant throughout. It just He ended up 17 and a half seconds ahead of uh, Rovan Pera, who was second and managed to keep Nouvelle behind him who, by just 2.3 seconds in the end. Uh, Rovan Pera didn't really have as good a weekend as people were expecting. But he's just 20 years old, so I think there's plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, compared to some of the some of the rally champions, yeah. So Rovan Pera leads uh, on 39 points, and he's ahead of Nouvelle by four, so he's on 35. Sebastian Ogier and Evans are tied on 31, and after that uh, win plus two power stage points, Tanner is on 27. So he's, just by one rally, has dragged himself right back into it, but of course, we're only two rounds we into the whole thing, so it, that's easier to do now than later on. But this was not a good weekend for Toyota. No, what stuffed Ogier was. It was warmer than expected, and he was on road cleaning duties, which made it even worse. Evans struggled a bit, so he he did okay. But Hyundai did really well, and their t- their testing proved all right. Although Breen struggled for them. Well, even uh, he was wearing out his studs. Struggled, and he came in at fourth. So you know that's not too much of a struggle. And, and then Solberg was trying out the um, the next Hyundai. Yeah, so he he did really well for in his because that was a test. Yeah. Test did you see them using the uh, the so doing the these. I forgot the correct term. The surveying of the stages, Toyota using the using the GIRs with the massive, 
massive light bar across the roof and on the bonnet. It looked fantastic. Mm. Have you ordered no. yours yet? <laughs> I'm an ex-fluencer. I'm, I'm allowed to buy one. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a really good rally. Uh, in the show notes, as ever, because Dirtfish do a fantastic job on this, there will be the Colin Clark's driver ratings, and we will also have the What We Learned article, which is talks Look stuff. through the the, uh, the the core article there with the, the summary of, of the, the race, because the photography, and I, I saw it in the tweets from the various teams throughout the weekend, the photos are stunning. It's, I mean, they are mm. absolutely gorgeous, fantastic light, just the snow, it just looks great. It's it's perfect rally. Perfect rally. Yeah. Just looks looks the, yep. the, the dog stanglies. Oh, just to, to round out, M Sport really struggled. They were ninth and Yeah, they didn't have a great weekend. Tenth, I think. So uh they had they were had a poor mm-hmm. weekend. But they've got a fraction of the budget. Uh lunchtime read this week is we're <laughs> really piling into racing this weekend. It was not intentional. Is <laughs> A piece from a uh, friend of the show and fellow podcastist, uh, Richard Porter. The picture of him with that beard still freaks me out in his on his Evo articles. Uh, but this time it's about, it, it's entitled, It's Time for Some Hard Truths About Road, Motor Racing's Influence on Road Cars. And it harks back to a discussion that was on Twitter a few months ago. It's sort of mentioned there and just... It's a good one about just how much influence uh, the top flight of motorsport has on road car development. Mm-hmm. GIR is accepted. No, but uh, what I mean is is circuit racing and Formula One and that kind of thing. Yeah. So as opposed to 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 touring cars and well, touring cars has very little influence, but yeah, rallying has more, I'd say. So it's worth a read. It's uh, seven or eight minutes long, and it's yep. written in his own inimitable style. List of the week, right? Our list of the week, uh, Top Gear again. They're doing very well for this. It seems to be this chap, Craig Jameson, seems to seems to be writing quite a lot of very good and different lists. It's far better than one that there was a worst car list on another motoring publication this week, and I didn't even give it a click because we don't do worst car oh. lists because they rubbish. No. They are the worst yes. car lists. Our worst car lists. Yes, <laughs> but this one is, is titled "Here Are Eleven Brackets Possibly Rubbish Things We We Miss from Old Cars." And Alan, of the uh, eleven slides, have you got a thing? Yeah, yeah yes, but I can't find hits it. It's home for you. Hang on, I'm so slick. Mate. There's one I completely disagree with because I hate them. Uh, but what? That's... I know some people do like them what to deal with uh the i've lost it now i had it earlier on manual door locks that was it that was the one that i disagreed with that is a rubbish thing and i don't miss them at all uh i was more of a shrug on that no uh for me it was the the gear yeah yeah, i've never tried one so i can't comment i've i've tried that a couple of times and it just 
doesn't work. No, I can't I, I, get it to work. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm being asked to pat my head and rub my tummy, but yeah, that happens, and I can't do yeah, that. No, this was this was during when the, in the first batch of snow when I went out to take the uh, take the Mercedes somewhere to discover that the door locks had frozen, which is something I haven't experienced for a long, long time, and then had to sort of get the kettle out and all the <laughs> usual sort of tepid water from that and try and do it and then squirt it and eventually got it to unlock it's just as well i wasn't you know on my way to somewhere where i actually had a a deadline an appointment booked or anything <laughs> oh yeah i was that was it and there was eight inches of snow perfect perfect timing so yes i was i was cursed manual door locks you, you forget how good you have it when you can flip it no but there are some other good ones in here that we don't disagree with. I don't, we can't say anymore now. No, we've picked, we've our picked ours, and people don't like it if we go through all of them or pick too many. But yeah. there's mostly they're right, I'd say. Th- that was yes. about the only one I could really go, no, no, don't miss that at all. <laughs> well, I think you need to take us to the uh, and finally. Yeah, and finally this week. Now, you found it, despite the fact that it's fallen to me, but it's quite impressive. It's an art project by a chap who calls himself DocuBite. And it's called Wedged Wonders, a celebration of Italian concept cars, 1968 to 79. There's not really anything to go along with it, other than if you click in the top right corner of the images, then it it makes it bigger and it tells you what the name is. But it's a, a selection of wedge concept cars, really. And they're all glorious. Oh, they are. They include, by the way, it includes the Autobianchi runabout, Nia. So you're in there. You'll like this one. Take a look. Uh, for anyone who missed this week's Zoom Zoomers, then Nia was on about that would be the perfect vehicle to electrify and have as a city runabout. Yeah, loads. Just cool stuff. Ferrari Modulo, the Bertoni Tundra, uh, Volvo Tundra, pardon me, by Bertoni. Did that become the BX? Yes. I thought so. I, I, I vaguely remember there was some, I'd, I'd seen something about that. But then when I just saw it in profile, I just thought, well, that's just BX, isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a three-door BX. Yeah. Um, just, just all the sort of crazies. The Lancia Stratos Zero looks fantastic. And this chap, he does it. It's it, He's a photographer, but then he works the images quite a lot on top of that. So they're the, the stage where you're not sure if it's a photograph or if it's a sort of digitally created image, uh, yep. a digital artwork. They fall in between the two. And they're really cool. They're beautifully laid out. Yeah, the, I'm the, the background and and it, they're just absolutely stunning images. They, they really are. They're the kind where initially I thought I was going to be able to buy them, and I I I can't. But they're very cool. Be aware the the UI is not very intuitive. Uh, you have to scroll up and down to go across. So as you scroll yes. down, it actually scrolls you to the left, which took me a little while. Uh, and if you click in the top right corner of an image, it will give you a bigger version uh, with a caption of what it is, who the designer is, what the design house was in the year. Um, and that's about that, 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 that's about it. 
uh there's other stuff in there by the way which might be of interest uh, if you click on the hamburger button in the top right corner gosh this is like it's like last tuesday night when i was delivering training so if you go on the hamburger <laughs> button then there's load then there are some others which are presented in the same kind of way i really like the guide to computing uh, but there's others from the the brickyard so obviously pictures from the indy 500 uh, as well as the other um and door slammers are the other automotive ones the i others, think he's uh, on um i can't remember if i came across him on twitter or instagram he is on he is on twitter yeah he's on twitter instagram and instagram at at docubyte his name is james ball they are just delightful and i want every single one of the cars all of them not just the car ones the computer ones a lot they're really lovely do it's well worth you know after you've read the lunchtime read go have a flick through that because it it's it's well worth it. it's docubyte.com uh, link in the show notes. I was going to say, link is ever in the show notes. And that brings us to the end of this week's this week's uh, this week's show. Parish notes. Zoom zoomers. You just mentioned it. Yes, yes. And thanks to Rich for uh, being on last week in my absence. Zoom zoomers is out. We recorded that last night. Our guest was uh, was Alex Goy. Excellent. A couple of naughty words have crept in. Not from Alex. But it was... That Damien's got a potty mouth, I know. It wasn't even him. It was that well-established Irish motoring journalist, Neil M. Briscoe. Uh, Shocking. I know. Just terrible. But it was absolute hoot. Really funny last night. Uh, Alex's audio is a bit rubbish at the beginning, but it does settle down. So do stick with that. Cool. Cracking stuff. Uh, Weren't you on a podcast recently, Alan? I was. had nothing to do with us. I was. I was on the Preston podcast. Uh, just so I didn't. What's it get... like talking to somebody sensible? <laughs> it's quite scary, actually, especially as I had absolutely no prep or anything, and then I was asked like questions about what's the episode I'm most proud of, and it was like, oh, I don't know. There's there's been 383 of them at this point. I can't think of one. But it was really good. So do Piston Podcast on uh, all the usual podcast platforms. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Yeah, do. So so thanks to Dan for that. It's fantastic when someone's younger than your first, younger than two-thirds of your current car fleet uh, is a little bit unnerving. Um, but yeah, no, Dan's, Dan's far more professional than we are. Well, there's no, there's no future in podcasting for him then. Let's no, I know. Word. It's doomed. Doomed, I tell you. Uh, Either that will be DDoSing. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only option. Um, there's no room for talent out you go <laughs> roll out the bots quite a lot of Yaris talk and Panda talk uh, in there as well as talk about podcasting and, and things and I think I was almost right, nice I'll, to Andrew I'll, at one point okay I'll prime my drink then before I listen oh I've no got don't it, I've got it queued up I I, I, I wouldn't uh, yeah not if you're not if you're going to be not if you're going to be up do it late at night morning. Yeah, don't do it late at night <laughs> that way lies morning drinking yeah yeah <laughs> So, so that's what we've been up to uh, uh, outside of outside of this uh, as well. And I think that, that those are plenty of parish notes. We've probably talked far too much. Mm-hmm. Anyway, everyone, don't forget between now and next week, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page at motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget about our Patreon or any of the other ways to support us available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. 
Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crap Windscreen, you should find me there. Now, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, Twitter again, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>